our scripture reading for this morning is from John 15, 1 to 11. I am the, vo- the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that your joy, my joy, may be in you, and that your joy may be full. You may be seated. Thanks, Lydia. Would you join me uh, just in praying this morning? Yes, so Father, as we've sung, uh, and as many of us are are keenly aware, uh, we are deeply dependent uh, upon you and being joined to your son Jesus, the true vine. So we want to know him this morning. Help us to see him where he is obscured in our lives. Help us to hear him when other voices have crowded him out. And help us to follow him when we've gone astray after other sources of life. Lord, we confess with Peter, you alone have the words to eternal life. And so we come to receive this morning all that you have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It is so, so good to be with you this morning. Uh, my name's Jake. I'm part of the team here. I want to add my welcome uh, to Daniel's welcome. Uh, if you're new or visiting, welcome. Uh, we want to get to know you more and to serve you well. And so uh, please stop by the Connect table following the gathering. Also, if you're new or visiting, uh, given the reading we just had from John 15, you, you would be uh, understood in thinking that we're in the middle of a series in John. Uh, we are not in the middle of a series in John. Uh, we just finished uh, 10 Sundays in the Ten Commandments uh, in Exodus 20. And we're actually returning to a series in 1 Corinthians uh, beginning in chapter 12 in, in two weeks' time. But these two weeks, the, the next weeks, this Sunday and next Sunday, have a really explicit purpose for us as a church. And it's this. If you're new, uh, we want you to know who we are. Uh, we want you to know what we're about. We want you to know where we've been and, Lord willing, where we're going. And if you've been here a while, you've been here maybe all three years of our existence. It was September 2019 when we we planted this church in this neighborhood. The hope is that over these two weeks, uh, this uh, text and, and, and others would act as a bit of a refocus for us, reminding ourselves what we're doing here 
and why we've even gathered this morning. See, the mission of Christ City Church as both a refocus and an introduction is this. The mission of Christ City Church is to make missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. For us here in Hastings Sunrise, that's to make missional disciples. That's people who make other disciples. Disciples who make other disciples for, for the good, for the well-being, for the blessing of Hastings Sunrise. Really simply, that's our purpose here this morning. That's why we've gathered. That's why all the work has gone into all that we do. And I can think of no better text to help explain and, and sit in this mission than John 15. John 15, 1 to 11. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open your Bible. If you don't have a Bible at all, we have Bibles for you. And so throw your hand up uh, on or Daniel will bring you a Bible. Uh, if you have it on your phone, pull it up now. John 15, 1, we encounter our first point this morning. It's the mission of Point number one is the mission of Jesus. Bible's open. John 15, 1 says this. I am the true vine, Jesus says, and my Father is the vine dresser. When, when Jesus says, I am the true vine, you and I hear the beginning of a seemingly random metaphor. But for Jesus and Jesus' disciples and all of his first century hearers, especially his Jewish ones, vines and vineyards evoked a whole host of meaning for them. See, in the Old Testament, we find Israel, the people of God, often referred to as a vine. And perhaps most famously, Psalm 80 says this, You brought a vine, that's Israel, God's people, out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. There are other texts we could go to in the prophets as well. Over and over again, Israel is the vine brought out of Egypt. It's the vine planted by God himself that he is tending and caring for as a master gardener. It is Israel and no other nation who is planted and kept and nourished. And as a vine... Keep on going with that metaphor with me. Israel's purpose is not simply to just exist. No, but to bear fruit. To produce something. Fruit of worship. Fruit of devotion. Fruit of faithfulness. Fruit of justice. Fruit of love one another as a community of God's people. All this fruit they were intended to bear. And as such, they were to be a peculiar people among the nations. This vine light, if you will. And tragically, if you know the story of the Bible, Israel fares, fails to, to bear this fruit. And so when Jesus says in John 15, 1, I am the true vine, here's what he's saying. He's saying the new Israel, the true Israel that I am forming, the true people of God that I am making for myself, has nothing to do with belonging to an ethnic group. Has nothing to do with belonging to an ethnic group. No. But everything to do with belonging to me. Trusting in me. Believing in me. Jesus is saying this, you need to be joined to me. I am the true vine, he says. See, when we become a follower of Jesus, and maybe you're not a follower of Jesus, and I'm so glad you're here, but when we become a follower of Jesus, we trust in him and believe in him, the Bible says we receive every spiritual blessing. 
Not some spiritual blessings, but every spiritual blessing. That's Ephesians 1, verse 3. And so, for example, the Bible says, you have been forgiven of your sin. A judge has pronounced you not guilty of your sin. It's a glorious picture, isn't it? Furthermore, the Bible says that you've been washed by the blood of Christ, which might sound gory and even gross. But the idea there is that there's an experiential point of your faith where you not only know intellectually that you've been forgiven of your sin, but you experience the, the forgiveness of sin in your life, the, the cleansing of conscience, the living rightly before God and others. There are a whole host of other spiritual blessings the Bible talks about. We go on and on and on. They're all very good. But listen, Christ City, like spokes that proceed from a central hub on a bike, all those blessings are attached to what I think the Scripture teaches is the chief blessing or the greatest blessing of following Jesus. And that is what Jesus is talking about in John 15. Our union with Christ. That mysteriously and gloriously and wondrously, you have been, Christian, united to Jesus. In other words, the result of trusting that Jesus is alive is that you become alive. You live like a branch joined to the true vine. John 14, 20 says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. And so by way of introduction, who are we individually? Well, lifeless and loveless, with about as much hope for life as discarded and decomposing branches in a burn pile. God, for those of you here who trust his son Jesus, has joined us, has saved us to eternal life. We are those individually joined to Christ. And what does that make us as a church? Well, it makes us a lot of things, but I'll tell you one thing it makes us. It makes us a wildly dependent people. People living moment by moment, not according to, to worldly powers or notions of efficiency and status and ranking, but living according to the grace of God. Grace for the Christian is not a vague concept, but a real person that you have been joined to, a person that you live by, the true vine. And because of this grace, Jesus will say later in John 15, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. And then after that, he says, though you never would have chosen me, I chose you. Once a people of hatred and slander, gossip and revenge, lust and insatiable longing, through grace, now invited to make our home, to abide in the love of Christ, in the love that has always existed between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're invited now again mysteriously and wondrously to participate in that. This before we are brother or sister, father or mother, son or daughter, friend or acquaintance, this is who we are, Christ City. United by grace to Christ, the true vine in love. And if you're new, I hope that, get, I hope that acts as an introduction for us. I hope you get to know us. But I also pray for many of you, it serves as a needed refocus this fall. Because look back at John 15.1. Look back. 
Notice that Jesus does not simply say, I am the vine. He says what? I am the true vine. In the Greek, in the language in which this was originally written, the sentence is structured in such a way and so that it's emphatic. Jesus is essentially saying this, I, I am the real vine. He does this all over John's gospel, these emphatic statements. I, I am truly reality. I am the real source of life. Which means this. What's being taught is not just eternal life in union with Jesus, but eternal life in Jesus alone. That's what he's saying. It's as if Jesus is saying to us this morning, and to me and to you this morning, there are other so-called vines out there. We can think of them now. Places we go for life and belonging, for sustenance, places we make our home, and he says, they won't nourish you. They won't feed you. They won't sustain you. Only in me, the true vine, tended by my Father, that the true vine dresser is their life. We need refocusing this morning because though many of us here have trusted in Christ and been joined to him, we still nonetheless have looked elsewhere for life. I, I just got back. I'm, I'm peeling on my arms here. You can't see. Maybe you can. I just got back a few weeks ago from, from Hawaii. And, and we had planned, my wife and I, this trip for years. We have four small boys. If you know them, you know they're lovely. We love them. I want you to know that we love them. Uh, but we were very happy to leave them at somebody else's house <laughs> for a week. It's glorious. Still, thinking about it right now, I'm lost in the glory. We dropped them off uh, for a week, and we went by ourselves to this trip. And, you know, people do things in Hawaii, like, you know, hiking and zip lining. And we're like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And we stayed on the beach the whole time. And we did nothing. We slept the whole time. But it's interesting. A few days into the trip, my, my wife turned to me, and she said, do you notice that people don't seem happy? We're like, how could you not be happy? <laughs> like, it's literally the most beautiful place I've ever been in my life. Like there's, there's wild, you know, aquatic animals like swimming, you know, in front of us. And like, you know, the, the, it's always sunny out and, and the beach is, is soft and not like the Vancouver sort of, you know, daggers that exist down at, you know, Kitts Beach. It's beautiful. And people weren't happy. We thought it was so, so strange that even in, in so-called heaven, right, paradise, uh, people were unsatisfied. It, it turns out uh, disobedient kids at home are still disobedient kids on vacation. <laughs> right? Right? Marriages struggling at home still struggle on vacation. Selfishness, which shows up all the time at home again and again and again, still shows up on vacation. See, for many of us, the, the refocus we need this morning it's actually what the Bible calls repentance. It's turning again to Christ as our lone source of life and blessing and every good thing in this life. John 14, 6 says, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, 6 is not just a verse for new Christians. 
It's not just a verse for the beginning of your walk with Jesus and then discarded. No, we continually come before the Father through the true vine who is Jesus. An exciting part about today, and today is an exciting day, is that later on we'll hear baptism testimonies of people who have trusted in Jesus, and that is good and right and beautiful. But I want you to hear as they tell their story on the screen later that the invitation is the same to you. The invitation is the same to you this morning to trust again in more and in new ways and in increasing depth in the love of Jesus that he has for you. We're excited about those. We looked first at the mission of Jesus, but as we'll notice, it doesn't stop there. Point two is the church on mission. And what's immediately apparent in the metaphor of the vine in John 15 is just as Israel was not brought out of Egypt just to hang out and chill, so too is the church joined to Christ for a purpose, for a reason. We pick it up in verse 4 of John 15. Look at your Bibles. Jesus says, Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. This word abide, which is sort of an old word we don't use often anymore, can also be translated remain or make your home, right? Jesus is inviting us to make our home with him. That's the simplest way of understanding what's going on. Here, Jesus is inviting us to live with him, to be with him, to linger with him. See, the union that he's won for us, he wants us to experience it. He doesn't want it to remain a cold sort of idea in our head, a theory, as it were. Jesus is explicitly inviting us to make our union with him a day-to-day felt and lived and experienced reality. Why? Because only when we say, Jesus, I want to make my home with you, only then can we do anything meaningful, anything fruitful, Anything that lasts. And and I don't think I'm being dramatic here. I don't think I'm being hyperbolic here. So we would not miss it. Twice in our passage, Jesus says, As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. And again, verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do Nothing. Nothing. I, I just want to ask. It's, just, it's, a, it's a question that obviously has some implications. But, but do you actually believe that? Do you actually believe that? That apart from Jesus, apart from making your home with Jesus, once and every day thereafter, you can do nothing. I think everything we do this year depends almost entirely on whether we believe what Jesus is saying here or not. Only the Christian 
only the church that makes their home with Jesus can actually live up to its purpose, can actually build, in the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians, with lasting materials, gold and silver, and not wood and straw, hay. Of course, this extends well beyond Sunday morning. You can only be fruitful in the way Jesus wants you to be fruitful at work if you abide in him. You can only be fruitful in your relationships in the way Jesus wants you to be fruitful if you abide in him. You can only be a good neighbor here in Hastings Sunrise in the way that Jesus wants you to be a good neighbor, a fruitful neighbor, if you abide in him. In other words, we can only be the church on mission and we've inherited a mission. We don't make it up. We don't sort of come up with something. No, we've inherited the mission of Jesus. We can only be the church on mission if we are the church abiding. That's the truth. And that sounds really nice and really catchy, and I was very proud of myself when I came up with that. But I think you're asking right now what I'm asking, and that's what does that actually mean? That's nice language. It sounds very spiritual, but kind of vague. What does that actually mean? Here's how I want us to end. I want us to trace in John's gospel four ways that John uses this verb abiding throughout his gospel in a discipleship context. Frederick Bruner, he's a commentator. He helps identify these things. And so we look now at how we become the abiding church. So if you're like, what's the practical bit? This is it right here, okay? How do we become the abiding church? Point one, the abiding church prays together. Praise together. We pray often. We pray with each other. We pray alone. We pray in response to the preached word. We pray sad prayers. We pray happy prayers. We pray on our way to work and before we go to sleep. We pray expectant. We pray God's promises back to him. And we pray because despite our past credentials, somehow, some way, on the basis of grace, we have been invited into the VIP room of heaven. That's why we pray. What an honor. What a gift. And so in John 1, in John 1, we find this verb translated abide in John 15. Here in John 1, translated as staying. Look at John 1, 38, 39 with me. Jesus turned and saw them, these two disciples. He saw them following and said to them, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? That's that verb. Where are you staying? Or, or making your home. Where are you making your home? And he said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, making his home. And they stayed, made their home with him for that day. For it was about the tenth hour. So, so first the disciples are responding to Christ being preached by John the Baptist. They are for the first time, you could say, abiding in Christ in response to the preached word. And so I'll take this opportunity now. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, the call is very simple. As you hear Christ proclaimed from the scriptures, as you hear his good news for you, the call is to, for the first time, trust in him and believe in him. Do that today, not tomorrow. It's not a future decision. It's a today decision. We would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Talk to me or someone at the back following the gathering. That's what the disciples do. But notice... John goes out of his way in John 1 to show that the disciples lingered with Jesus. We, we don't like lingering in our world, right? 
We, we have signs, in fact, in front of stores. No loitering. No lingering. Right? We live by schedules. Efficiency is our chief virtue. That's what our culture promotes. And yet John goes out of his way to show the disciples lingering with Jesus. Indeed, years later, after Jesus ascends into heaven, these same disciples are dragged before the courts. The, the transformative sort of mark of these disciples we read in Acts is that they were men who had spent time with Jesus, made their home with Jesus, lingered with Jesus in prayer and in conversation. The same invitation to abide in prayer is for us today, is to this church today, to us disciples today. Last week we announced it. This week Daniel announced it again. Every Wednesday, beginning this Wednesday, we were meeting for prayer in this church. And as I said last week, there were 30 good things we could have done with our space on Wednesday night. There were 30 or 40 or even 50 good programs we could have run that would have served somebody. But as I think about it, as our elders think about it and pray about what's next for us as a church, we are convinced that the Lord wants to teach us how to pray. Us how to pray. I include me very much in the us how to pray. The Lord wants to teach us how to pray and indeed is inviting us to know him in prayer, not just privately, but publicly and corporately as a church together. The great preacher and teacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he once said, the quickest way to quench the spirit is not to obey an impulse to pray. I, I want to say yes, and maybe you're with me, maybe you're not, but I want to say yes on behalf of our church what the spirit wants to do in us and through us this year. We're going to pray this year, Christ City. We're going to pray a lot this year, and I invite you to join us on Wednesday night. So the abiding church prays together. Second thing, the abiding church meets together. In John 6, it's kind of funny. There's the funny parts in the gospel. Maybe you haven't encountered those. Maybe I think it's just funny. Jesus says to the horror of his listeners, right? Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Now, of course, it's not cannibalism to which Jesus refers, but the communion meal, something we'll take part in this morning, a meal pointing to and reminding us of the death of Jesus, a meal that is not private or distributed amongst friends where all are not welcome, but a feast for the church to be enjoyed by the church as we experience the presence of Christ as the church. It's this corporate meal. If I can put a finer point on it, all the blessings, all the strength, everything we need to be fruitful in this life is found in Christ, in his gathered church. And if I can put an even finer point on it, you're free to listen to your Tim Keller podcast on the way to work, but that's not church. And he's a great preacher, much better than me, so I don't blame you. This disembodied post-COVID era church where we curate our own digital experience or vaguely belong to a number of local bodies is not only killing you, it's killing the church. And so we need to hear that. 
If it's not here, the Lord has called you to belong. Go and belong somewhere else, but truly belong there. Give of yourself. Pour out of yourself. Die there. Be buried there. Have people weep over you there. Let's be boring together, right? Let's stay one place and then just stay there. The abiding church meets together. None of that was in my notes. Third thing. I'm almost done. The abiding church speaks the good news to each other. In John 8, the same verb is coming up again. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide, same verb, in my word, make your home in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Jesus says his disciples, his church, abides in his word. And so at risk of, of doing a a a, a a dumb oversimplification. In my experience, I've seen two different churches when it comes to the Word of God. The first church, the Word of God in ministry to one another, loves to speak the Bible to each other, but does so in a judgmental and harsh and callous and insensitive way. At this church, the Word of God is a weapon used to demonstrate your knowledge, your superiority, your standing, and to bring people into agreement with your viewpoint. It's the first church. The other church, the second church, perhaps reacting to the first church, doesn't speak the word of God to one another at all. Now, they'll swap relational and parenting tips and tricks, some pop psychology, and whatever else is being churned out by self-help gurus, right? But they are allergic to speaking the word of God to one another in love. And so I want to challenge us this year, Christ City. The abiding church, the church we're aiming to be, is saturated publicly and privately in the word of God, in the good news of Jesus, speaks God's word to one another in love and in grace often for the building up of the body. And we want to help you with this at Christ City. Ladies, if you're struggling to understand the, the meta-narrative, the, the big picture of the Bible, we have a Bible study for you on Tuesday morning with childcare and on Wednesday evenings. If you're not a part of a community group, we join each week to, to sit over the Word of God, not over, but under the Word of God, to learn from the Word of God, to be saturated in the gospel of Jesus. We meet regularly to, to center our gatherings on the Word of God over and over and over and over again. Christ said he refused to have superficial conversations week after week. I'm done with them. You're done with them. We're all done with them. Steep yourself in the word of God. Get to know the word of God. Commit to reading the Bible every day. I'm, 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 I'm shocked the amount of people I meet with who are making big life decisions, like big transformative, like, trajectory decisions. And when I ask them, like, what's your prayer life and your word life look like? There, there's nothing there. Friends, if we want to live as the abiding church, we want to be the people Christ has created us to be, we need to be people of the word, people who enjoy the gospel and preach the gospel in love and in grace to one another. The abiding church speaks the word of God to one another. Finally, last thing. And this will be very quick, because we'll talk more about this next week. But the abiding church serves together. The greatest imperative that Jesus links to the indicative truth that you've been joined to him in John 15, 
The greatest imperative linked to this indicative of John 15 is that if you're joined to Christ, you will love one another. Just after our passage in verse 12, Jesus says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. And greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. All around the building this morning, maybe you saw them, there are QR codes that you can scan to join a service team. And I'd encourage you to scan that and to join a service team. And if you're thinking, Jake, this passage is about so much more than joining a service team, you're absolutely right. Later in our series in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, we're going to see that the church is about us using our gifts to pull together to make missional disciples for the sake of hasting sunrise. But in Jesus' economy, we need to hear this. There is no such thing as an important task and a junior task. A, 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 a valuable sort of like higher ranking job and sort of like an insignificant lower ranking job. That's not how Jesus' economy works. What we'll see in 1 Corinthians 12 is that the one who stacks chairs is worthy of just as much honor, perhaps even more, than the one who preaches or the missionary who goes overseas. So I think it's fair to say that loving one another, yes, is about more than signing up for a service team, but it's not about less than signing up for a service team. I want to be very clear about it. In fact, signing up for a service team this year is probably the easiest act of neighbor love Jesus is calling you to do. Probably the easiest one. Diedrich Bonhoeffer, theologian, pastor, in a way only a German can, puts it like this. A community which allows unemployed members to exist within it will perish because of them. And if you're new, you're like, where am I right now? If you're new, we're glad you're here. Get, get to know us. But if you're here, if this is your church, the call is to serve. We have about 40 kids downstairs, many of whom who don't know Jesus. There is a tremendous discipleship opportunity literally under our feet. Friends, serve. Talk to Mel following the gathering. Talk to me following the gathering. Scan a QR code. We are the church who serves together. So the abiding church prays, prays a lot together. The abiding church meets, meets regularly and consistently and expectantly together. The abiding church speaks the good news graciously in love, yet boldly to one another. And the abiding church serves together. Again, hear my exhortation. If you're new here this morning and you want to get to know us, please stay. We'd love to serve you. But if you feel the Lord calling you elsewhere, go to that place and serve there. Pour yourself out there. If you're here and you have no plan to serve, let me say this as clearly as I can. We, we need your seat. We need your seat. We are joining together to make missional disciples in this neighborhood. We are on a mission. Not one we invented, but one we inherited from Christ himself. And so join us this year. Let's pray, Christ City. 
Father, we thank you. We thank you that though the task is great and weighty before us, we serve, we move, we have our being from a place of having already been purchased by the blood of your son, Jesus. And so we're not filled with anxiety in this moment. We're loved, we abide in the love of Christ. Help us be a people who truly abides in you and with you. For those who are new, Lord, and for those who don't know you, I ask, Lord, that they would come to know you and believe in you right now. That we would have baptisms to celebrate next year this time of people who heard your word for the first time this morning. Lord, above all else, we want to glorify your name. We want to make a big deal of you in this neighborhood. We want to make you famous in this neighborhood. Help us to do that. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey everyone, this is Jake, lead pastor of Christ City Church, East Vancouver, and I want to let you know about a few things. First, if you're not a part of a local church, let me invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 2605 East Pender Street in East Vancouver for worship, word, and sacrament. Second, if you are new and you want to get connected, let me say welcome. Christ City Church, East Vancouver is a neighborhood church committed to making missional disciples for the sake of the neighborhood. If you want to be a part of or hear more, of what we believe God has called us to do in East Vancouver, please reach out to me at jake at christcitychurch.ca.